Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Dane Zorko here from the Brisbane Lions. Jason Johannesson from the Western Bulldogs. Luke Parker here from the Sydney Swans. It's Roy Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Maxwell and Melbourne Football Club. This is Matt Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Number one in the 50 most relevant GWS star and also playing for Victoria in the state of origin, by the way. Lockie Whitfield, number one. No surprise, to be honest, that he's in the countdown, but is it a surprise that he's number one? I'm going to talk through some of my reasoning and thought processes throughout this episode. To do it, I've got Tim. Hello, mate. G'day, how's it going? It's good. It's nice to finally be here at the number one positioning, and a large chunk of the reason behind it is... He looks likely to be a clear-cut number one forward for us with him picking up DPP in 2020. Just the 25 years old, this player gave us some career-best numbers last year. And in AFL Fantasy, that included a PB score against the Blues with a 190 and an average point of just shy of 114, while in Supercoach, 170 in that same game against Carlton was a career and a seasonal high. In Supercoach, he's going to set you back just over 600,000, around about the 820 market in Dream Team, and 844,000. Tim, every year in December, Christmas arrives for us, but for fantasy coaches, it came early this year with Lockie Whitfield picking up forward eligibility. Absolutely. And as soon as that happened, you know, half the people are like, how did he get forward status? And half the people are like, I don't care. He's in my team. <laughs> it's just, you know, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. He's got it. So, you know, you got to take advantage when these things happen. You, you certainly do. And it was largely, your champion data have explained this a lot of the time, based on the 666, he spent a lot of time starting inside forward 50, then pushing up to the wings, and then being the one bringing great delivery of the ball inside the forward 50 and, you know, having some level of impact on the scoreboard as well. Last year, despite not being able to get to every single game, just the 16 matches last year, he did show his value to the team and to fantasy coaches who owned him. Last year, he was defensive eligible and he showed that he was one of the best in that line, as I believe he will be in the forward lines for 2020. Last year, from the games he did manage to play, it was 26 possessions, 19 of them run contested using that great aerobic endurance ability to get to contest and on the outside of every work. He averaged eight marks, which is huge for a mid-forward, three tackles, four inside 50s, three clearances, and a couple of rebound 50s through there as well. Across the entire league, um, yep, he didn't play every game, but he still managed to be ranked fifth for averages for marks, 10th for kicks and 11th for uncontested possessions and 14th for meters gained per game. He just had this incredible ability, didn't he, Tim, to find space there where there wasn't any. Use both sides of his body, those elite foot skills that he has to rebound and to bring the ball inside forward 50. He's an incredible outside talent. Absolutely. He's um, obviously got the fitness to get to the spaces and the footy smarts to know where to get to, when to get there. And uh, as you say, he's obviously got the skills that his teammates do look for him and they do like having the ball in his hands as well. So he sort of got the big trifecta of, uh, of Dream Team or Supercoach point scoring there. You know how to get there. You've got the ability to get there and your teammates want to give it to you when you are. It's, um, you know, it just kind of really, 
I wouldn't say broke out last year, but clearly just kicked it up a notch yeah. after the uh a couple of years before that as well. Yeah, he did. In Supercoach last year, he finished the year with an average of 111, which had just three scores below 90 all year, with one of them being an injury-impacted score. From his 16 games, 11 tons, five of them over 120, and a real nice number over 150. Three over 150. That included that PB score against the Blues of the 170. And AFL Fantasy, even stronger. Like in Supercoach, just the three scores where he didn't manage to turn up across the year. 13 tons, which is a real strong conversion. Six of them over 120 and an insane two over 160. That included that 190. That is some scary ceiling that when you put the captaincy on, Boy, that that was impressive. You do talk about the the historical, uh, what we've seen of Lockie Whitfield during 2018. We saw him get 12 tons in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, half of them over 120, while in Supercoach it was 11 tons and three of them over 120. Um, and it's just one of those fascinating things to see what he's done because. I, I think the major reason people get concerned about Lockie Whitfield, and there is some cause for concern, and we'll break that down for you throughout this episode, but for majority of people that are a little hesitant around Lockie Whitfield, it's probably to do with the multiple injuries he suffered last year that are just turning some people away from being keen on Lockie Whitfield. Yeah, so you mentioned that he only had what, three games under 100 in both formats, and uh you said one was injury affected. I'm pretty sure two of them were. So I think you broke his collarbone in one, that's if right. I'm right. And um, another one, he actually played out the game, but he had a massive corky, yeah, that's right. which was in basically thigh, his second yeah. injury. Yeah, and that, well, I think he only scored like 30 or 40 in that game in the format. So now this is obviously for Whitfield something you can't do, but just to show the impact of his scoring, which you were talking about, if you don't count those two games where he got injured, his dream team average was actually over 120. Yeah. And his super coach was up around 120. So so like you were saying with captaincy and his frequency of scores above 100, basically as long as he wasn't getting injured, you know, he's a captain option every week for you and someone who, if you're going to average 120 as a forward, it's ridiculous and you just need to select him now. But obviously he did get those couple of injuries and he has had a couple in the past, although not in the last couple of years before that. And he played every game in 2018 and 2017 he missed seven, but that wasn't injury related. That, that was, was the drug, ban. drug test. Yeah. So, Basically, for the two years prior to last year, he basically played every game that he was fit for. So immediate yeah, injury history, I think, is not too bad. Yeah, you can't really say he's injury prone too. When one's a broken, you know, is a collarbone. When one's a thigh. When, you know, like that's not soft tissue continuous injuries we're seeing repeating over and over again. It's, if anything, it's just a bit of bad luck. It is, yeah, and it's um. I mean, it's almost like looking at Heath Shaw's record back in the day when, mm. when he was at the Pies in that he seemed to just never play 22 games in a season, but they're all different ways of achieving it, mm. you know, whether it's on-field, off-field, just various injuries. I think he'd have had a bit of a hammy occasionally as well, but the Whitfield, he doesn't really have like any chronic recurring things. Um, so I'm inclined to sort of suggest he's unlikely to get any particular injury, like yeah. you say, but... At the same time, I think he's only played 20-plus games once in the last four years. So mm. it kind of depends where your risk threshold is and how you evaluate it all. Yeah, right. It, it, you can build some confirmation bias through there, couldn't you? Beyond last year, the past two seasons before that, 
He played every game he was eligible to be selected. And then before it was 19 games and 21 games. So yes, there's multiple injuries across this year, but the most recent um, few seasons, uh, I'm really comfortable to, to not have the injury concern. So there are three questions about Lockie Whitfield about that might cause concern for selecting him. But here's the reason why I've got him at number one in, in the 50 most relevant. Again, it's a subjective personal list for you. Maybe it, you would have put Grundy there and that's fine. You could build a case for that. Maybe it was yesterday's inclusion of Marlon Pickett as the likely most highly owned cash cap. You could build a case for it. That's fine. Here's why I've got him as the top most relevant player. It's pretty simple. In a scoring line in the forwards, he sits... Well supreme in terms of proven scoring and averages and more than any other line this year. In any other formats, again, we look at all the formats in totality, not just an isolated one. I see the forward line and the gap between what Whitfield could and should deliver and who's second as a substantial gap across all the formats. Because if I look at all the other lines using all the formats in a combined build, you know, kind of melting pot. I could build a case that if Lloyd's the number one defender, for example, I could build a case for a number of players, or at least one being level with him or close to him. I could do the same in the midfield. In, in the ruck, in Dream Team and Fantasy, I do see a bit of a gap between Grundy and, and someone like a Gorn, but in Supercoach, they're very, very comparable. So I, I, that's one of the reasons why he's through there, because last season... We had a heap of big forward premiums. Dangerfield, Billings, Kelly, Dunkley, Marshall, Boca. I could do this all day. We've lost them all this year. And the gap from Whitfield to the number two is drastic in terms of averages. In AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, it's a 15-point per game gap between what Whitfield's priced at. Again, knowing there's some injuries in that that have certainly lowered that to a Toby Green. And then in Supercoach, it's an 11-point gap to Michael Walters. So for me, he's such a far clear tier above every other forward. So even if he does drop a further five to eight on what he's done, again, knowing there's injury impacted games in there, I still don't see another forward getting it within five, maybe 10 points of him. What's your take on that, Tim? Yeah, look, um, I mean, hindsight will reveal all at the end of the year, but Certainly based on what he was scoring last year and how he was playing. And like you said, the other options who are in the forward line this year, it does seem to have a clear gap on the number two forward. So, I mean, could someone else potentially sure. jump ahead of him? Look, always. But, you know, are you likely to consistently pick that correct if you polled yeah. 100 different people? You know, most people would say Whitfield is going to be the clear number one. And uh, that just means if you don't have him and he's the clear number one, then... You know, you need a reason for that. Yeah, you do. So, well, let's break down the three kind of key things around Lockie Whitfield. The three key question marks, and I'm keen to get your take on all of these, Tim. Um, they're this. It's, is last year an aberration or uh, in terms of something way out of the blue or is this the new norm? Second, will there be enough points to go around in a bursting Giants midfield? You could put the injury thing in there if you want to. I'm not going to, but you could put that in there as a caveat. And then the third is... How can he? Ha- is he the new number one tag target? Um, so let's break those down through there. Tim is last year a out of the blue scoring jump, or again, as best we can forecast, is this closer to the new norm we're going to see from his scoring? 
Yeah, it's a big question, isn't it? So certainly it's his highest scoring season to date. Mm. But at the same time, he is a player on the up. You know, he has gone through the development stage and the yeah. building the tank and AFL body and all that stuff and, and getting more responsibility. So I'd be pretty comfortable saying that, you know, you'd be expecting him to consistently be higher than he was two years ago, yep. which I think he's 17 and 18 years. He was averaging around 100. Yep. And last year was a good 10, 15 above that. So... I'm pretty comfortable saying he has improved, but whether he's going to stick to his 110, 115 from last year, mm. you know, it's um, some players can, the best players can. So I know we did a couple of days ago, Grundy was number three, and yeah. Grundy has backed it up a couple of years in a row now. Totally. Um, there have been players in the past who've jumped up like this, like Dane Beams did a number of years ago. Mm. Barring injury, he pretty much matched it. Then yeah. you had guys like Mark Murphy did it one year, was never never able to replicate that. So you've, yeah, it's no guarantee that he does, but you just need to look at his style of play. And um, I think when you look at whether he's going to replicate it, part of it is the role as well. Mm. The players who are coming back, you know, is there a change in team game plan? Is there a change in coach? And there's not really much change for him, you wouldn't think. No. The only thing major really is Ward when he does come back um, is at least another body in the midfield. I know he's not really the same role. Yeah. Um, guys like Canelio, Josh Kelly, I think, didn't play the whole season last year, but still played a lot of games with Whitfield. So mm. um, where do you see it on that? Do you see any change for him in, in role or in personnel? No, I, I don't see a drastic change through there being forecast for him. I, I know you can certainly build a case um, around certain parts of that. But no, in, in my eyes, I think um, Whitfield maintains the course in terms of role, maintains the course in terms of points. If you want to look at the differential between what he scored with Josh Kelly and without in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team last year, um, is it was barely any difference in terms of his average. Is um, you know with Josh Kelly last year. Um, it was a, an average of 115 in Dream Team and Fantasy. Without, it was 111. In Supercoach, there is a little bit of a gap. Um, it's nine games with Josh Kelly. Um, that was an average of 115, seven without. And that was a, a dip down to 105. Um, so, you know, it's certainly something to keep an eye on through there. But I, I don't forecast such a, a drastic scoring readjustment because he is more of an outside player. If he was the inside bull and with Ward coming back in, sure, maybe I'd kind of hear that case built out a little bit. But I agree. Because he's an outside player, more predominantly can do inside, but more outside. Because the side love to get the ball in his hands and has such an incredible tank and footy smarts to get to space, um, I think he's a brilliant option. Yes, he increased his marks tally last year. Yes, he increased his disposal tally, but he also dropped a little bit in some of his tackles. So, look, for me, I I don't think either of those two have some weight. The one I'm intrigued about is about the tag. Um, He has shown a propensity to struggle under it. Thankfully, he won't get Matt DeBoer tagging him. So that's, you know, silver lining for him through there. Um, Will he get it? Possibly. It, It probably sits very much, Tim, Probably it's one of him or Josh Kelly and certain teams will tag certain players based on the cattle they've got and others won't bother. Yeah, that's right. Um, seems to go through flux even during seasons, whether or not teams tag or who teams tag and that yeah. sort of thing. And as you said, he's I think he got tagged at least a couple of times last year. I think Brisbane yep. tagged him in one of the finals and he didn't do all that well with it. Um but, you know, that's the kind of thing you gradually get used to, mostly. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've we've had the players like Gaff used to struggle under it, but now Worked basically plays a similar role and 
doesn't really get tagged from it, mm. either from working his way through it or teams just don't go there. Um, you'd think Kelly would be a team that play other a player that other teams would prefer to shut down over him. Yeah, whether they can do manage it. to do that or not, or yeah. just say, look, we'll just go for Whitfield. I'm not sure. Um, you, I think on the on the whole, it'd probably be similar to last year. I reckon he'd get nailed by a couple of teams, but I, I don't think it it hit him too much um, or too often. Yeah, and again, you look, you look at those scores where that ability to get that big 170, you know, 159 in Supercoach and 152 in Supercoach in Dream Team and Fantasy, that 162 against the Tigers, that 190 against Carlton, um, you know, multiple scores over 130, 140. It, it balances out, um, you know, these guys that have these occasional tag games. Look, have ceilings like that again in our forward line? Gosh, it's really difficult. Look, given what his ownership percentage is and what it will be, um, even if he does dip a little bit in injury, you know, in a, a scoring or even gets an injury at his price point, you can move him to anyone. Um, sometimes we can just get too cute, can't we, Tim, and just go, I'm going to take him on. Um, he's probably, for me, the one forward you don't want to take on. He's probably one of the only few players across all lines I feel really apprehensive to take on. He's got the biggest ceiling of our forwards. He's got the highest ownership of all our forwards. He's got the highest potential of all our forwards. And chances are you will have him in your side. Could you get him cheaper? Sure. Will you be able to time that right? Probably not. Um, Is he got some injury impact concerns? Yes, but at his price, you just trade him. We saw that last year. Those that went without Lockie Whitfield in a defender, you got hurt. And when you had him, he set your side apart from the pack of those that didn't have him. I think it's very similar in 2020. I don't see a world where I can't stock it, start my teams in any formats without Lockie Whitfield. Yep, and... Uh... Just on top of that, another reason to have him is he's basically the last buy round. Yeah. And he doesn't seem to have a major amount of premium options against him from that buy round either. In so, the forwards, yeah. Yeah, in the forwards, that's right. I mean, I think a few people probably go on Hugh Greenwood, whether or not he's likely to end up as a premium. Sure. I don't know, but he's certainly in that in that box to start with. Um, but, you know, he's, he's, as you said, he's a, a man apart already in the forward scoring. And then you look at who else is in that buy round and... There's no options there, is there? It's a really light-on week from that perspective. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think he's a really good option. Um, Just pick him. Don't worry about it. Just find a way. And, again, if he gets injured, 50-plus percent of the competition are going to be in the exact same dilemma space as you. So I I just think just make the move. Pick him. Don't get too cute. Sometimes you can try to outsmart yourself. Um, If you want to do that, that's fine. Fine, go for that. But with a guy that's got that ceiling, that frequency of tons, that much of a gap between him and the second place guy, in my eyes, you just got to pick him. Um, yeah, one little thing I just want to mention, just on the injury, I don't think this is going to be a major issue, and it won't affect me picking him. But mm-hmm. uh, he did, did have an ankle reconstruction in the off season, so probably went about six weeks without running. I would guess. Yeah, he's a pretty fit guy naturally, so. Will that hurt him come round one? I wouldn't think so, but just something to note. Something to factor. Look, the fact is he's been doing full preseason throughout January and February. Like we said right at the top of the episode, he's been selected in um, the All-Stars versus the Big V. So, you know, in a very glorified um, state of origin match. 
Um, it's more of a showcase match. It, GWS wouldn't let him play if he wasn't right. So um, there's no risk through there. So, yeah, for me, it, you just pick him, you walk away, you do it, and it's problem solved. Drafts, though, is a bit more fascinating. You can build a case, probably in AFL Fantasy, more than the other formats, although in Supercoach, I'd at least entertain it. He's probably one of the only few guys that you could build a case for not going at number one if you've got, unless it's Grundy, just given, again, the such a large separation between him um, and the rest of the forwards, and it's a pretty thin line. I don't know if I'd do it, but it's certainly one to consider, isn't it, if you have the first pick? Yeah, look, I don't think you could really have a go at anyone who took Whitfield at pick one, Yeah, which is um, just a fair rap on the guy. So... Obviously, we said the other day that we'd have Grundy as number one, and I think, as you said, most people are going that route. But yep. look, given the gap, he'd certainly, if not number one, be in contention for pick two. Yep. Basically, he's going to go in the first few picks. You know, if you don't have an early pick, you're not going to get Whitfield in the draft. No, you're if not. you want to trade for him, you're going to have to pay through the nose to get him. So, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, definitely at the top end. Yeah, he, he's going inside the top two, probably maybe at a squeeze top three in, in most drafts, depending on the format you choose to play. So if you're not got a pick in there, just don't even think about it, because he's not going to slide to five, six, seven, eight um, in the vast majority of, of drafts. In a keeper league, though, what's his value at? Is now the time to trade him, or is it just because he's so good in an existing keeper league? Do you just... You got him last year as a defender. You get him this year as a forward. There's actually still every chance he maintains the same role and keeps forward eligibility, isn't there? There is, definitely. Look, keeper league's an interesting one on the question you said, do you keep him or trade him? Uh, Naturally, you wouldn't want to trade a guy like this. But at the same time, if you think about it, this is probably the highest his value is ever going to be. Yes. Because every year after this, he's a year older. I think he's 25. So next year, he's 26 and 27 and... People slowly start to pay less and less the older guys get. He's got forward status. Will he keep it next year? Look, as you said, definitely good. Not 100% guarantee. Mm. So if next year he's a 26-year-old mid, he's suddenly worth less to you in a keeper than he is as a 25-year-old forward. Yep. So if you did want to get value out of him, this is probably the most you're ever going to get. Um, but having said that, if you're any chance of winning it this year or if you just enjoy having good players in your keeper team, then... Um, I wouldn't trade him. Yeah, no, I think so. That's pretty fair too. Hey, Tim, appreciate you giving us uh, your thoughts today on the number one most relevant player, Lockie Whitfield. No worries. And uh, thank you ultimately to you too for spending the past 50 days with us talking about the players I think are among the most relevant players across Supercoach, Dream Team, AFL Fantasy and the draft formats. Whether or not you agree or disagree with me is largely by the by. It's all about having a conversation in the preseason about these incredibly valuable and relevant players and looking at all the possibilities that could take place for us in the 2020 season. But now, the real stuff begins. The preseason games are on the very edge of the doorstep for us. We finally get to see clubs versus clubs. We get to see what new coaches have been working on with game styles and structures. We get to see the different players coming in and playing new roles. And we get, for our first time ever, an opportunity to watch our cash cows have a crack at the elite level, albeit at not the same intensity. The preseason might have just been bubbling away for you, but now it goes full gear. We'll be covering every single game at coachespanel.tv with our analysis of the Marsh preseason 
all of the strategy you're going to come to know and love will be dropping and our weekly roundtable conversations they commence from now thanks for spending the past 50 days with me and various members of the coaches panel and a huge shout out to every single person that's been a guest on these podcast episodes the fantasy footy community you're an incredible beautiful group of people and we're glad to have you as a part of the coaches panel family and we get to be a part of the fantasy community which we love so much the preseason is here now bring it on